0: It is my privilege this morning to introduce to you David Anderson from Arosha. David has been working at Orosha for seven years. Um, He he met the founders um, of Arosha when he was a student at Regent. And then he and his wife, Shauna, who's also here with us today, um, went out to Bowen Island where they pastored a church there for seven years, a church, he tells me, very similar to our little church as well. And David is here to share a biblical biblical vision uh, vision for the environmental stewardship, and it goes hand in hand with what we've been creating with our garden. And I am very excited to hear what he has to say and what he has to share with us. So, welcome, David.
1: Thank you very much. It's okay for you yeah, we start? please
2: so lord again we just ah, just declare your presence here with us thank you that you're with us thank you that you never leave us we bless david now thank you for the work you've been doing in his life and in his heart i pray that as he shares that message with us now that our hearts would be encouraged and that we would come to know you better amen amen
1: thank you thank you If I talk about like this tone, so people can hear, yeah, ish, ish. Oh, used You're used to getting yelled at, all right, I can pick it up a notch if that's, all right. Thank you, it's a privilege to be here this morning, I appreciate it. It does, uh, it, feels, it feels a bit like home, there's all these connections. We, um, we ended up on Bowen Island back in 2000 and <laughs> 2002. Uh, to work at Rivendell, which apparently is where Pastor Gordy is this morning, so there's there's one connection. Um, it also quite literally feels like home. We live in a 1920s like little wood cottage that every time you step anywhere it creaks and it's kind of drafty and the bathrooms have those little latches on the doors. So I was downstairs and I was like, this feels just like home. It's great. What's that? No, I, we love our home. We love it. Um, so we work with Arosha, or Arosha, you can say it any which way, it, uh, it's Portuguese, so none of us say it correctly, I can't even say it correctly, and I've been working there for seven years. You have to do this great rolling R, like Arosha, right? It means the rock in Portuguese, um, and it's a, it's, a, it's a dual use of the term rock, it's, uh, we're, we're a Christian organization, a Christian ministry, um, so it's built on the rock of Christ. And yet, the original project was in Portugal, and it was actually, the house was built on this rocky outcropping that overlooked this big area of estuary on the Portuguese coast, so hence, hence the rock. We, um, we now operate in about 20 different countries around the world, so there's there's Arasha communities and projects going on in areas as diverse as uh, the Bacaw Valley of Lebanon, to Ghana, to Peru... Um, Finland, we're all, we're all over the place. And um, here in Canada, we have three different, three different main projects. So we're operating in Ontario, in Manitoba, and here in BC. And Shauna and I are the directors of the, of the local project here in BC, which is out in southeast Surrey. We're almost on the border of, of Langley. And we run the Arasha Centre there, which is called Brooksdale Environmental Centre. Arasha's mission, broadly, is the transformation of people and places by showing or revealing God's love for all creation. And we do that. There's there's lots of different ways that that can be done. At the center, what we the programs that we run and do a lot of we do a lot of environmental education. This is I'm just giving like the Cole's notes on Arasha. Um, so we expose. We start with like preschool age and we go all the way up to as old as people get just exposing just doing great exposure to the wonder and beauty that surrounds us in god's creation um, so just great environmental education if kids are coming from public schools we can't be really explicit about the fact about the faith component um, we just do great we just try to inspire them with the wonder that's around them um, if they're coming from christian schools or other contexts that are where they're open to faith and we're really we, we weave in the delight of god in that we do a lot of conservation science, so we study a lot of habitat and we study a lot of species at risk. And I'm a biologist in my in a former life. I was a biologist in my early days, and so I can geek out on science. And if you, if anybody wants to do that afterwards, we can we can do that together. I can talk about species at risk for a long time. Uh, and we also do sustainable agriculture. So we we when when we rolled up this morning, I'd heard from Gloria about the the garden boxes the kind of surrounding the church, and so big thumbs up, big affirmation. And we pulled up and we, so we, we love food. We love growing food. Uh, we love hospitality and celebrating food together in these diverse communities um, out at the center. And then we work a lot with um, just seeking to serve and build up the church, uh, capital C church, like just God's people in all kinds of different places and spaces, um, inspiring them, um, inspiring us to take hold of this vision of creation care or stewardship of god's earth um and i'm going to talk about that this morning but ironically i'm going to get there talking about the earth by by focusing actually on heaven so i want to reference resurrection this morning because we're we're in the sunday after easter this um the greatest declaration of love that exists in human history we're going to go to heaven then, because what did, what does, what did the resurrection open and secure for us? Um, and then we're going to end talking about hope. So heaven, earth, and then hope. Does that sound all right? So how we understand heaven or misunderstand heaven has a ton of consequence or implication for how we live now. I'm learning this more and more uh, just in, with life experience and the older I get. So I was playing with the, the title of my sermon. I was like, you know that phrase, um, you know, someone is so heavenly minded, they're no earthly good. We've heard this before. Right, which usually, usually when that's said, right, oh, if so-and-so is so heavenly minded, they're no earthly good. Um, it usually means they're, they're kind of impractical, right? It's kind of like, it's not really like a, you're not really dogging somebody as much as you're just sort of well, you know, their head's kind of in the clouds and they're not really practical. They're not really doing anything. So it's kind of a, it's not a, it's not a bad critique. It's sort of like a, I don't know. It's light. But but somebody can be so heavenly minded in the sense of misunderstanding heaven that they really are no earthly good and not just no earthly good, but tremendously harmful. To the earth. Okay, so in the early 80s, there was a fellow called James Watt. He was the U.S. Secretary of the the Interior, so he worked with Reagan really closely. I'm not going to do a bunch of political commentary. Um, He was also very open uh, about his faith. He was a Christian man. His understanding as the Secretary of the Interior, so he had control over all, well not control, but he had significant influence over all federal lands in the United States, which is immense. And he stood before Congress at one point and and in a speech actually said that that we as human, as humans and that he as a citizen in the United States had had a duty to extract resources as fast as we possibly could on federal lands in order that we might hasten the day of Christ's return. Yeah. I'm glad you had that. If it was neutral, I was going to have to go in a different direction. (laughs) Right, so here's somebody who understands a certain understanding of Christian faith and Christian future, uh, and a certain understanding of heaven and hastening heaven down, and yet the outworking of that was actually uh, removing an enormous amount of safeguards that currently, up until that point, had been on federal lands— around mining, timber, extraction, all sorts of resource extraction. Now, I'm not, I'm not criticizing resource extraction. I'm simply saying that understanding that actually we should, we should use what we've got as fast as we can and, and actually degrade land in order to create a kind of climate that might hasten Christ's return, that is a really warped understanding of who Jesus is. And our place here on earth i'm glad i'm seeing some nods and it's an understanding that is still in place right the policies that he set down and influenced in the early 80s are still being worked out today i would love and in fact i think more often than not this is the case i would love there to be a phrase you know they i.e christians those that follow jesus are so heavenly minded they're full of earthly good right and i think this morning we've been participating in that so my hope this morning holy spirit is that as paul said to the romans that you holy one would free us from the patterns of the world the way that the world and the worldly uh, understand heaven or understand eternity and that we might be transformed and participate through the renewing of our minds in the transformation on earth and the kingdom being brought to bear on earth as it is in heaven, yeah? So let's start with a bit of an exercise. When I, and this is actually, I want participation, it's not rhetorical. You seem like a participation church. When I say heaven, what comes to mind? What images, associations? Heaven. Up? Up good yeah angels sunlight Sunlight. nice yeah perfection Perfection. god no more pain pain. untouched or perfect nature i'm gonna be younger (laughs) that's good oh i like that sorry Loved loved ones thank you amen yeah. Praise. So I have to confess when I my imagination, I mean I meant that prayer when I say Lord redeem our imaginations, re- renew our imaginations so that so that our understandings of heaven can actually be informed and transformed by like the biblic by biblical imagination, by biblical reality. Um, I say that because my imagination for much of my life, and I can struggle to now, is stunted when it comes to heaven, right? I identify Daryl Johnson, who's a local pastor um, and who wrote a fantastic book on the Lord's Prayer. He said as a kid, he did not like the phrase in the Lord's Prayer, you know, our Father in heaven, because it seemed to suggest to him that God was, like, way up there, way far away, either far away future, like... I'm going to heaven, you know, when I pass. Or far away, like distant, sort of like, and the image that comes to my mind is like Mount Olympus, you know, like some kind of Greek philosophical understanding of heaven. God, as an old man, far up, you know, above a cloud cover. There has been lots of cloud cover (laughs) right now. Yeah, Yeah, there we are. But for a first century Palestinian who would be hearing Jesus teaching, our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. When when a first century Palestinian heard that phrase in heaven or in the heavenlies, they didn't think far away. They didn't think way up. They didn't think future. When they heard "In, in heaven or in the heavenlies, what they heard was all around us, very close at hand, as real as what we see and touch, but the unseen, normally unseen dimension of reality that's all around us. Isaiah 66 says, and the Lord is speaking in the passage, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Both heaven and earth are the dwelling place of God created by God, indwelt by God. But heaven, biblically often, is associated with like the throne of God or the full rule or fullest manifestation of God. So when we pray, Our Father in heaven or in the heavenlies, all around us, normally unseen, but very close at hand, Your kingdom come, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're saying, Lord, in the heavenlies where you reside fully, where you're fully manifest, would you break through the veil between us and heaven right now? Not remove us from where we are, but break in from where you are with your character, your goodness, your grace, your power. Break in now, here. I find that understanding of heaven enormously helpful. Unseen, all around us, unveiled, occasionally, right? And we get, t- we get, we see this in scripture. Um, Jesus, when he's baptized, right? He comes out of the water, and the scriptures say he saw heaven being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove, and a voice he heard. So he saw and he heard, you are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. Now, in that incidence, in this case from Luke, Luke. Did a far-off place open a door somewhere and a dove come from some future reality or some distant place down to where Jesus was? Or did, as we've been talking about, or did Jesus uh, was a dimension of reality all around him that was present with him right there get opened up? It was unveiled. So that he could see the presence of his father. The presence of his father did never left him. So it's not like it's not like God the Father was absent and then just in that moment sort of came and showed up. It's that Jesus was able to see and hear heaven on earth. Yeah? I see nods. This is good. Right? When in the passage this morning, uh the, the Doubting Thomas passage, right? When the, when the disciples are in an upper room that's locked for fear of the Jews and, and Jesus suddenly is among them, visibly. That's heaven. That's heaven and earth, what's normally unseen, breaking into what is seen, and, and they're integrated and they get to see and touch and interact with. And you know it's heaven because the passage goes, fear, peace be with you. Jesus' presence brings, always brings peace. And the passage closes with, and they were filled with great joy. Doesn't that, that I mean, that happens on a Sunday morning, right? We come in often from our being, I don't know, we carry our fears, we carry our anxieties, we carry the weight of the day-to-day we come into a space, we gather with a people, and we open ourselves, our fears, our, our laments, our joys, our thanksgiving, we open them up to Jesus, and we say, Jesus, grant us your peace. And more often than not, because God is faithful, he says to us in a variety of ways in this kind of space, in this kind of community, peace be with you, and we leave with joy a joy that kind of defies understanding but there it is it shows up we're vulnerable we bring our weight and god shows up this is why paul says to the church in the in philippi in philippians 3:20 he says but our citizenship is in heaven he's not saying this passage has been used really poorly. <laughs> He's not saying, so because our citizenship is some far away place, don't pay much attention to what's going on now. Like don't don't invest yourself in the here and now. He's saying who we are at our core is rooted in God, in heaven. Right? It's rooted in, in God's presence. And because we have that kind of security, one for us at Calvary, that security and assurance and peace grants us grace in the now to live a kind of life that looks different. It just looks different. It has more peace. It has the potential for transformation in a way that that is different than the world. Paul is inviting the Philippians and he's inviting us to claim this double existence for ourselves. We're dual citizens. We're rooted in heaven on the earth. And because we're rooted in heaven, the kind of life and energy and power and and influence we can live on the earth with is, is transformational. It makes a difference. It its your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven it's the breaking in i think i'm i think you guys know this some churches i'm preaching at this is this is very new okay so that's a bit on heaven i want to talk about earth for a minute and then we're going to go to hope so as citizens of heaven let's look let us look for a minute at how our king desires us to live on earth as it concerns the earth. So there's no better place to start than Genesis 1 for this. So Genesis 1 26 says, Then God said, Let us make Adam, often translated man, but in this instance it means humanity. Let us make Adam in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock and over all the earth and over all the creatures that move on the ground. So God created Adam in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. May, male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and said, be fruitful and increase, fill the earth and subdue it, and rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. So what does, our, what does the creator of heaven and earth intend for us on the earth? sort of half rhetorical and I'm half expecting a response. To be stewards. Yeah. Right? The passage is all about being image bearers of God on the earth. We are it's it's remarkable privilege. We are the visible we are the visible image of the invisible God given the privilege of of mirroring his character, the kind of character of this creator king in this place and time here now. So the key then is, and this is where heaven and earth are intersected, right? If we're going to be image bearers of God on earth, we have to know who it is, our, whose image we are bearing intimately that's the only way that we can live out this kind of joyful stewardship is to rule and exercise our power in the same manner as or in the same way as God. So how does God rule? Wisely? Joyfully? Amen. Humbly? Humbly? Patiently, God is patient and gentle, humble and kind, just. Oh, thank you. If you didn't hear that, he doesn't see some parts. In God's economy, God doesn't prioritize, oh, here's the really important bits. Or I should say that, like, here's the really important spiritual things, you know, and they trump, like, the earthly things. There is a difference between heavenly and worldly, and I'm not going to get into that today, but worldly in Scripture does not mean earth, right? It means the cultures, the things that are set against, kind of like going against the grain of the kingdom of God. So I want to read... um, I could go on at some length, and I'm not going to, actually. I'm just going to reference this. If we were to take, if we were going to do sort of a report card on how we're doing as stewards of earth, reigning in the name of, in the character of God, it's, it's not a great report card. <laughs> and I don't want to dwell on this because I don't want to dwell on the negative this morning. I think we're all aware of... Um, I mean, we could talk about pollution, we could talk about soil loss, I could talk to you about species extinction. You know, we only know of about a million species on the planet, we estimate that there's anywhere from seven to 10 million species. Now we're talking about really tiny ones, but there's lots we don't know about yet at all. And our best ecologists, without a big political agenda, they're just giving it their honest best shot, are saying in the next 30 years that we are likely to lose a quarter of all of the species that exist on the planet right so this is daunting stuff for for someone that cares but it's not new stuff so i want to read from hosea who holds these things together what's your name kirsten, kirsten. hosea reveals the heart of God in this passage in Hosea 4 and it's this it's weaving together this God doesn't prioritize it's like all things that I've created are important Hosea says hear the the word of the Lord you Israelites because the Lord has a charge to bring against you who live in the land there's no faithfulness no love no acknowledgement of God in the land right so it starts with this relation relationship with our creator Verse 2 goes on to say there is only cursing, lying, and murder, stealing, and adultery. They break all bounds, and bloodshed follows bloodshed. So breakdown of relationship with God, and this is referencing the breakdown with one another. Because of this, verse 3 says, the land is mourning, and all who live in it are wasting away. The beasts of the field, and the birds of the air, and the fish of the sea are dying." So this isn't new. This is thousands of years old, right? Environmental degradation is as old as the human heart. What is new is the scale of the problem because when Hosea was writing to the Israelites, there were maybe 200 million people on the planet, right? And now we're where? pushing 7 billion, right? When Hosea was writing this word of the Lord, advanced weapons technology was like a bow and arrow and Now if we want we can literally cloud out the Sun with what we drop So the human heart has not changed but our capacity for destruction has significantly grown with our technology So what do we do Do we treat human life as the problem as some are wont to do in the environmental movement, right? Caring so much for the earth that they view humanity as the problem. Well, I want to suggest absolutely no. we can't talk about the dignity of being created in the image of God and then go and and degrade humanity. That's kind of focusing on us. Do we look to our technology to solve the problem, right? That's still focusing on us. It's just sort of focusing on us in the positive and our, our technological prowess. Well, I want to suggest that the passage itself in Hosea holds the key. It holds the answer to the question, what are we to do? Right? Because where Hosea takes us is where and why we gather this morning for worship. Hosea says, it's not technology and your own might that is going to save. And don't degrade humanity. You're created in my image. You are precious to me. Where there is no faithfulness, there's a call to faith. Where there is no love, Hosea says, love. Like, grow to know the goodness of this God. And open your hearts and love to him. And where there is no acknowledgement of God in the land, acknowledge God, honor God in the land and with the land. The vital thing that Hosea brings and that all the prophets bring and that we bring to one another as we prophesy to one another in this context is that ultimately the solution, if you will, or the health of the earth is it's hinged upon the health of the human heart. Education and technology is not going to solve the environmental problem hearts that are attuned to God and will walk humbly and love mercy and live differently on the earth with one another, that is going to heal. It will heal relationships with one another and it will heal the relationship we have with land and the places that we inhabit. That's why as a pastor... I love working for Arasha, a conservation organization, because I can boldly proclaim in these types of contexts and others. I like to... Um, I mean, I have city staff from the city of Surrey come out. You know, we've been growing in relationship with them, doing a bunch of work on our property, and as we interact with the community and serve populations. And they come out, and they're honestly, they're awestruck. And I'm not talking up Arasha. I'm talking about up God. Because they marvel. They're like, how do you... How do you do all this? What's the kind of energy that sustains all these different initiatives you're doing and the way you're caring for people and the soil is being refurbished and the, and the stream is coming back and salmon are starting to come back? And I get to say to city staff that are like broiled in bureaucracy all the time, we we're able to do this because God delights in it. Because God loves this, and empowers those those who are following in the way of love. All right. By my clock, I have eleven minutes. Is that about? Is that about right? I, I started late. Go longer. Go longer. When we when we humble ourselves, when we open up our heart to God, I mean I know I'm preaching to the choir, we hear this, but but things happen that just don't like the sum total of what happens on the other end isn't just the work we put in, right? It's not one plus one equals two in God's economy. It's like one plus one equals thirty eight thousand, and you kind of go like what happened there? Well, God happened there. The Holy Spirit happens there. Um, So I want to go back to heaven now. Stephen is an example of this. Or the first Christian martyr after resurrection. In Acts 7, right, here's this encounter of earth and heaven. Stephen has just boldly proclaimed the lordship of Christ before the Sanhedrin. And he's pulled outside, and it says, full of the Holy Spirit, he saw heaven open, right? What was veiled, right around him, was unveiled. And he saw Jesus glorified, standing at the right hand of the Father. And I want to suggest, because he was rooted in heaven, he had that kind of perspective, it sustained him, even in the face of the most violent we get with one another as he was being stoned and i want to suggest further it didn't just sustain him it the power that his destiny held enabled him to actually um enabled love to flow out like he's literally being stoned and he prays he prays, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Like he pours out love in the face of violence. You, you don't get more like God showing up and granting power than that, in my opinion. He extends his persecutors the peace of Christ. And then it says in Scripture, he fell asleep. And even the language illustrates the power of heaven because it's not the end it's just absence for a time our family (laughs) knows the valley of the shadow of death really quite intimately this past year right today literally today April 23rd would have been the 11th birthday of our of um, Sean and I's daughter Taya who died almost exactly 11 months ago, after an 18-month fight with a really um, hard leukemia. That's why some of our extended family is here today. They're not here to, to listen to me speak. <laughs> I think they're honoring Taya on her birthday. Now, we miss Taya desperately. She was a delight to us. And we wrestle with why she wasn't healed. We really do. And we wrestle in part because God was fully present and caring for us through an excruciating two years. Like, we wouldn't wrestle so much if, I don't know, if God felt distant and absent, but he didn't. God met us in so many caring ways, powerful and gentle. But the night she died as we were praying over her, she'd already passed, but we didn't know how long to keep praying because we were praying like resurrection. We were going for it. I had a vision, and I don't get visions. I know I'm kind of, I know the vineyard like, is charismatic. I was raised in the alliance. We don't. <laughs> but in prayer, we saw, I had a vision of Taya, walking away from us holding hands with someone, I don't know exactly who, her right hand and his left. And I cried out, I, in prayer, like, sweetheart, we love you. We don't want you to go. If there's any possible way you can come back, is there, is there any way you can come back? And she turned to me, not letting go of this person's hand. Well, I'm going to say it's Jesus. It was, some, it was a resident of heaven. <laughs> she turned around and she said this. She said, oh, Dada, I know it's going to seem like a long, long time. But it's just going to be a second. And then she said it again. It's just going to be a second. And I swear to you, <laughs> actually, I'm not supposed to swear. <laughs> There was a great love on her face, but there was no sympathy at all. She was not feeling bad for me. She was full of joy. She was in full health. And she had a perspective on the other side of the veil that I don't have yet. And she was sharing it with me. And I'm testifying this morning, I think I saw heaven unveiled and a word was given from heaven that brought enormous peace. So what now, when I read, I mean, I pastored for years, so I, I read this somewhat, a little bit abstractly. So now when I read Paul in First Thessalonians saying that we do not mourn as though who have no faith, I get it. Now, it doesn't mean that we don't mourn. I was overcome with sadness last night praying through this message and thinking about Taya's birthday today. But I am not, we are not, without hope. It means that I grieve, but I grieve in the midst of a deeper assurance that because of what Jesus has done and is doing, this is not the end. And the kind of assurance and hope that breaks into our sadness and grief allows us to live in faith in a way that I see around us is different than the world. We sat on the oncology ward for nine months straight, and we watched family after family just being ripped asunder. Marriage is breaking down. Relationships breaking down. With under the shadow of the, you know, of the valley of death. And it doesn't have to be that way. Rooting ourselves in heaven makes a difference on the earth. Romans 8. Paul says that creation itself is groaning. It's suffering, waiting for the children of God to be revealed. I am convinced that we're in a time when God is raising up his people to live with hope, to live with love, to live with faith. In creation, And for creation, and when I say creation, I mean like like all of us, not just the green bits, right? Like creation is you and me and everything else. Not primarily because we love being outside, although I do, and not primarily because it's kind of hip to be environmental in Vancouver, although it is, but because it delights the heart of God, like it pleases God. Can I pray for you as a church? Oh Lord God, I, I want to thank you for this community of faith before me. And I see the gardens outside and it, it seems to me it's, um, it's, it's both symbol and real. Here is this planted, rooted goodness in the midst of this neighborhood, this part of the city. And I ask you would shower your blessing and your peace and your healing presence on this people and this place. That what is tended here by you. I think of, um, I think of Mary coming to the empty tomb and turning around and thinking Thinking, Lord, that you are the gardener. Well, you are a gardener, you're the creator. So, garden this place, I pray. Nourish these people, the soil that is here. And may the things that grow up in it be harvested and shared, and may there be plenty. Pray that the offering that this community of faith gives to the neighborhood would just be abundant. That when it's gathered up in the end of days and counted, there'd just be baskets overflowing with the goodness that's flowed out of this place. Jesus, we give you thanks that we have hope in you. And I pray that your kingdom would come, your will would be done on earth through these people in this place, such that love would be made manifest. And we ask these things and entrust them into your gentle, strong hands. Amen.
2: Thank you, David. And thank you for coming and being vulnerable with us and for your whole family. Today's... uh... A bittersweet day, right? So thank you for coming. I just want to open it up to people, obviously um, what David shared is weighty. But at the same time, I'm just being so challenged recently that we were never intended just to have more burdens placed on us so that we could figure it out by ourselves. So, if there's something in your heart that feels weighty, then let's gather and just pray for one another so that the peace comes, so that the hope is returned and restored. So, I don't know how to make that look necessarily, but if you feel a weightiness and you feel like, ugh, I don't know what to do with that. Then let's just, yeah, let's just be together and, and be in that space with one another.
3: I, th- I think that it's quite a prophetic uh, moment with Stephanie. I th- it wasn't just that she was grieving for the loss of many of her family. She just had a quite, I would love, I'd love it if and she's agreed that Stephanie is uh, one of our First Nations Nishka leaders here and, and she's partnering with us and we're believing God for more because right now First Nations people find it very difficult to come, as you know, into community because of the residential school. But just this last week, Stephanie, do you feel that you could share what you just shared with me? Would it be too difficult for you just to maybe just explain? She was with and um, challenging some of her community towards the vision you've talked about it, particularly for, because we believe, my husband and I really believe that the First Nations people um, have really been called to, to be the stewards of the land in and, and a tremendously prophetic way. And God is really calling them to really lead the charge here. So I would love it if you could pray specially for her and and maybe make a connection with her and her community. Thank you.
0: <laughs> okay, um, so where I come from, um, a, a bit of, I have to tell you a bit about myself. Um, I grew up in a very loving home. Um, for that, um, it was it was very sheltered. My father was a God-believer, God-fearing, and we just had everything that we needed in our home. And it wasn't until I grew up that, you know, I got to my teen years that I started to get I- impacted by the intergenerational um, dysfunctions uh, resulting from residential school, and I didn't understand it. And so... It started to grow in me, and like, why don't they have love? Why do? Why don't they accept that? What is causing them from not being able to open their hearts and just accept it and and share it when it's free? Um, so, as you know, I I started to pursue that in my work and in in my education and just trying to. Different ways, but yesterday, um, just to co- come back to you know what just moved me, I just felt the, the Holy Spirit in me. Um, yesterday, I attended a Lands and Resources is meeting um, within my community, and they were talking about uh, they were they were talking about numbers. They were throwing numbers left and right, and but the salmon, depleting species, and and you know I, I sat there and I let them give the presentation, and then I just got up and I started to, um, you know, I, I prayed first, you know, that God would speak through me, and you know just, what is the message here, you know, I I feel it, and I know it, and but you know, just speak through me. And so, what was coming out of me was youth engagement. Um, you know, part of, you know, it, there's, there's so much uh, involvement around that. I mean, teaching awareness at the younger ages so that they grow up and um, learn to be good stewards of the land it's not just about resource extraction, it's not just about looking at certain species at all. It's about um, knowing the land, having that relationship with it. How um, our practice in, in you know, caring for the land builds our relationships with each other. Um, how living together that, you know, God had a purpose for every creation, every piece of creation that he made. And in just all of that, how in our traditional laws, all of it is so, as as I started to learn more about the Bible and comparing it and doing my research with, with my elders, our law is very much, you know, it, it just goes line in line with the Bible. And so I try to, my, my calling is, you know, I, there's a lot of uh, reasons why people don't hear or they don't want to hear about God and Christ because they get lost in religion. So finding creative ways to to realize that, you know, God is is with them, He is part of them, and understanding that spirituality. They've been walking with it all along. They just don't realize what it is. And so that was what, you know, just hearing everything that you had to share today, it really moved me.
3: So uh, I mean, you know, you tend to think maybe someone's crying because they identify with someone that's died. And there was a whole lot more that was going on, as you can see, <laughs> with Stephanie. So I think what she's communicating, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, is that this is probably one of the key ways we're going to really significantly partner with our First Nations people in the kingdom. So we really appreciate uh, you coming and sharing. And hopefully God is going to build some bridges for us to move forward, particularly with erosha and maybe our First Nations people too, right? Thanks, Karen.
2: <laughs> Thank you, guys. So yeah, I think I'll just officially uh, end the service. But again, if there's if you want prayer, then either come on up. I'm happy to pray for people or... Just grab a friend, but bless you, be at peace, know this hope, hang out with Jesus this week as often as you can, and until we meet again, bless you.